Stand by for action. We are about to launch the soul of Detroit. For this job, let me tell you something. You want to go right now? Okay, you want to go right now, Albert? Ah, nobody hits those high notes like Mark Fellhauer, the Mariah Carey of the Red Shovel Network. Yeah, that's the first recycled intro. And I, if I knew it was that one, I would not have chosen. Really, you didn't like? No, uh, I was not a fan of that one. Really, that no, was not uh, one bit. That was um, not Thunderbirds are go, but it may have been. Uh, no, you no one remembers. Jet car or something yeah, like that. Sure, Anyways, whatever you say. Great, um, great uh, intro. Off one to of, a rip-roaring start. One of the greatest ever. But all the content is new this week. In fact, we have uh, Sean Windsor is back. He should be joining us virtually, as you can see. Um, he cleaned up for the show. If you're watching us on YouTube channel ML Elric, we wish you would watch our live broadcast. Or if you're listening to us, watch the replay or join us live next Tuesday sometime around 12, 1230. Sean is uh, feeling better, if not necessarily looking better. He He's looks wonderful. <laughs> he was frozen there in a really weird position for a while. Yeah, usually when you see a gentleman like that, there's a... Uh, He's frozen again. <laughs> there's a shopping cart in front of him, and... Um, <laughs> And he's pulling up to his uh, his townhouse, consisting of no, a no, no. Or, cardboard box. Or he's in the subway in the movie Ghost. Doesn't he look like that actor? You know, do you remember the movie Ghost? Patrick. Smith? His his eyes were uh, had a little darker circles than mine. By the way, I agree with what you said, Mark. Whatever Mike says, that's my motto. That should have been the name of the show. Yeah. I was wondering whether he got a chance to respond. Oh, there's oh Sean. Oh yeah, he not normally. Does. Not yeah. normally. It's, it's it's sort of like when you step on a dinosaur's tail. It takes a little while for the message to get all the way to the pea brain. So <laughs> he's always got a ready response. It just takes a little while to travel um, from the tip to the uh, to the tip of his brain. But that but, voice you heard was a real broadcaster. Yes, in fact, this is the guy who made me miss late tired sleep whatever on monday mornings for many many years because i was a religious listener to night call on wrif if you were too and i listened in the 80s and whenever i'd come home you may have listened in the 70s you may have listened in the 90s you may have listened in the 2000s you may have listened until just up until a few years ago but we are very pleased to have peter werby joining us a guy who was one of the icons of detroit radio and now is an author and he's joining us to talk about a few things in the media. I, I think I may have upset some people by making a offhand comment about Joe Rogan. Uh, Peter's going to share some of his thoughts on freedom of speech and broadcasting. But he's also going to talk to us about Summer on Fire, a Detroit novel that he's recently published. It's a piece of fiction, but it's, it's based on and revolves around the events of 1967 when our city burned. And uh, Peter, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, Amel. It's a pleasure. 
Yeah, no, it's it's great to have you on. Uh, I I I that's this seems kind of weird in the in the in our uh, in our world today where we're inundated with access to everything about everybody, their mug shots, their birth dates, their their cup size, all that other stuff. But this is the first time <laughs> after listening to you for over thirty years that I've actually ever seen you in person. Yeah. And I have to say, you look way better than Sean. <laughs> Well, that's a low bar. Sorry. <laughs> wow. Welcome back, Sean. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sean. It seemed like He's what used to people it. were doing. Uh, yeah. Actually, when I realized this was streaming, I, I posted on my Facebook page, Drat. That means I'm going to have to comb my hair and put on a decent shirt. Um, you don't do much live streaming? No. <laughs> what? You don't, you don't have a TikTok account where you do dances? I, I listen to... Uh, uh, LPs at home. <laughs> LP, you call them LPs too, not albums. Yeah, seventy eights. In better fact. part about it, yeah. <laughs> they're on the RCA. <laughs> Puts them on the Victrola. Yeah. And, uh, right. Well, we, did you know we have something in common, and that being the sale to Beasley Media, basically, is what ended us out of that building. Sure. Because um, ours was in June when they cut loose everybody on one hundred five one, and then I think yours is in that fall, uh, where Beasley said, "Get out of here, Werby." It's Halloween. A, 2016 is when wow. they let me go after broadcasting for 46 years. But no goodbye or anything, right? You didn't do a goodbye. No, it was a goodbye B-U-I. Yeah. Uh, actually, Beasley didn't take care of me, but our former employer, uh, Greater Media, was very generous. So, uh, you know, the, they didn't want to pay the salary. They didn't want to have talk on a rock station. And so, I mean, I wasn't, I didn't stamp my feet you know they didn't need a security guard to take me out or anything like that and i've been doing it for a long time yeah, now so. the show ran on sunday nights how was it three or four hours i mean it was it was a it pretty was, big it, block. It, anywhere from two to four hours yeah uh, depending usually three hours okay and it starting it, around 10 or 11 right i mean uh, it was and it started at different times sometimes 10 sometimes uh, sometimes nine sometimes 10 okay there's no reason that should have worked for, no. for, for 46 years. No, I'm being Absolutely serious. Yeah. It turned out to be the longest-running phone-in talk show in American radio history, but never really got the props, and, and I'm not demanding any, but because it was only once a week. Right. That was uh, the deal. Yet it, it marked uh, my life in great ways. And also, and I'm always surprised, I don't know why, uh, that, that it affected so many people. I mean, even people who, uh, I, I just got a, on Facebook, somebody said, I never agreed with a thing you said, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, I listened uh, religiously every Sunday night. Uh, That's an open-minded person. Then. There were some very spirited conversations, and of course, there's a lot of great content talking. Uh, really, I, I think it's fair to say from, from a perspective of the left talking about uh, being skeptical of government and challenging people's assumptions, and I remember one time... God, it had to be in uh, in the early 2000s after I'd moved back to Detroit. Maybe it was in 99, but I was listening to you, and I called in because I had a cell phone. You know, when I listened as a kid, if my parents knew I was going to use the house phone at midnight on a Sunday, they'd be like, what the hell? You should be in bed. Mm -hmm. And I called in, and you guys were talking about something. I think it was you and Jillian. I can't remember what the topic was, but I called and said, you know, I've been listening for – 30 years this is the first time i've ever called and i made some sort of comment and i know you remember this peter but you said like it's like well i hope you don't wait another 30 years <laughs> you remember that right you know why i remember that oh yeah he does no you know why i remember that because uh -oh. you said it to everyone because in the year 2000 
I, uh, I, the, the Concert of Colors is big free concert sure. series every July put on uh, by Access. Uh, I, there was a dinner afterwards, and I was there, and I remember one of uh, Buffy St. Marie was there, and Bo Diddley <clears throat> was there. And I said to Bo Diddley, I said, you know, Bo, the last time I saw you was in Lansing in 1970. <laughs> and he said, don't wait another 30 years. Well, so you stole it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I co-opted it. Stole I think it I called, Bo Diddley. In yeah. fact, I called in June, so I may have set Peter up for that. There you go. Uh, that memorable <laughs> encounter with Bo Diddley. But, uh, but before, we, uh, before we dwell too much on, on evil people who don't support broadcasting, not, not speaking of Peter or Bo Diddley, but uh, let's talk about some people who support this show, the people we wouldn't be here without them. And, of course, uh, first and foremost is our friend Luke Nowacki. Oh, you want me to tell you about Luke? I, I, I insist, in fact. He's going to set you up for a strategy to be a long-term investor. That's Luke Nowacki, Pinnacle Wealth, 248-663-4748. He'll provide rational financial advice, which a lot of people need right now with the way the markets have been Going up, going down, going up, going down. Stocks or bonds, 401ks, 529s. What does it all mean? Get advice, get a strategy. Call Luke Nowacki, Pinnacle Wealth, 248-663-4748. Because when you call Luke, he'll make it all about you, sweetheart. And I also have to tell you, Whoa. before we get to the disclaimer, play disclaimer. We, we, uh, we wrapped up our Clark Park fundraiser yesterday. You know, we had our game and we raised a lot of money through for the Winter Carnival and with our outdoor charity hockey game. We had an online fundraiser that ran through the end of January. We were, we were about $500 from our goal, mm-hmm. and we were pushing hard to get there. And in the middle of the afternoon, I was at Clark Park dropping off a couple checks, and somebody said, can we extend the fundraiser? Can we, can we you know, lengthen it out to get to our goal? Because we really, we really want to get there. We set a very ambitious goal. And I said, well, I, I think we can. And then something popped up on my phone and said, bing. You hit your goal. It was Luke Nowacki. Oh, so right. Wow. So, so Luke, uh, Luke is a, a generous man and someone who can help you through these troubled times. And now let's roll that. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Member FINRAS.TC. Royal Alliance Associates Inc. is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Indeed. Give me the number again. I need some help. Sounds like a good guy. 248 663 663, yeah. 47-48. Okay. And for those just listening, now watching, Peter is legitimately writing that down. You're not air writing it down. He actually wrote yeah, it down. It's, it's, call him, Luke. It's, it's, it's really right there. Yeah. And uh, and don't forget, when you when you call any of our sponsors, to let them know that you heard about them from ML Soul of Detroit. And uh, Luke is a Red Shovel Network sponsor. He sponsors all of our shows, as does David Hall and the good people at Hall Financial. Oh, you mean the mortgage company known for their five-star service? They have so many five-star ratings, we can't even keep up. Guess what? They're now offering free appraisals for all their clients. So you could be refinancing your current loan. Maybe you're going to purchase a new home. You should always call Hall first before you do that. Find out what you can afford. Uh, but yeah, free appraisals. Not only will free appraisal save you up to about $750 on your closing costs, but it also allows you to free up that money for renovations, or you can save it for a rainy day. You can invest it with Luke. So take the next step. Call Hall Financial. Uh, like ML said, tons of five-star reviews, 5,000 five-star reviews. Why would you go anywhere else? Get started today, 866-CALL-HALL, or you can chat with them online, callhallfirst.com. And if you go to our website, mlsoulofdetroit.com, you'll see a link to their page. Please click it. And if you call them, let them know that you found out about them from ML. And by the way, when they talk about doing appraisal, this is a comprehensive appraisal. You go in there, they'll say, here's the deal. Your house is worth $200,000, and that's an ugly tie. <laughs> this is comprehensive. So that's that a, a major, 
Major savings. Were they appraiser jokes? Uh, no, because I gave them two five-star ratings. I think if they were candid about uh, the humor on this show, uh, I might have done a deal with somebody else. You took that uh, from the joke. Uh, the doctor tells the guy, he says, uh, you're in bad shape. You need an operation. He says, I want a second opinion. The doctor says, you're ugly. No, no, actually, Bo Diddley told me this. <laughs> I was wearing a horrible tie. He said, don't wear that tie again. I said, I might not see you for 30 years. I don't care. Don't wear that tie again. You know. It's it, Buddy Guy told me the same thing. I guess <laughs> apparently those fellows have run into each they other do. somewhere at the crossroads with Robert Johnson yes. when the souls were being sold for uh, wow for you, music. You are the master of free association. I mean that very. Oh, oh no, Sean! Yes, did you hear that? It's really hurt our ratings. <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate. <laughs> this this show has two minutes of solid content. And 58 minutes of free association doesn't always come back to where it should. But we are coming back to where we should, which is Peter Werby, who is uh, not just uh, an icon and not just someone who has aw- awakened a lot of minds. I, I, we, we were talking a little bit about the show before the show about how, you know, at, at one time, a lot of the, uh, the radio you would get that was sort of challenging the government, I always felt was coming more from the left. And, and there were institutes out there like the Christic Foundation they would send out cassettes and do programs talking about how Ollie North played a, a role in sabotaging Jimmy Carter's presidency because he's the one who launched the helicopters and the hostage rescue in the 70s. And and it was, you know, it's all this crazy stuff. And, and, and Peter would talk to folks about this, but he would challenge them. And, of course, the calls would have plenty to say. But now it feels like a lot of this, this sort of uh, uh, distrust of the government – is not coming from the left, it's coming from the right. And, and Peter, you'd know this better than I do, but were you part of sort of a, a uh, counterculture skepticism of authority? Or was there also some of that happening on the right and I just, just didn't tune into oh, it because no, I was I, listening to Night Call? Mostly it was coming from the left, and it started with me with the Kennedy assassination. Okay. <clears throat> when, um, you know, the, the Warren Commission said that Lee Harvey Oswald was the sole assassin, the lone assassin of, of President Kennedy. And then there were all these researchers, mostly people that, who were on the left, uh, who uh, said no, it, uh, not at all, and, and started attributing it, I would say, most frequently to the CIA, that they wanted uh, Kennedy out of the way because he was going to withdraw troops from Vietnam, this is in 1962, that he said he was going to shatter the CIA after the Bay of Pigs invasion went so bad. And there was an, oh, and he wanted to make peace with the Soviet Union. And so anyway, this, uh, and and if you think culturally, it used to be that the, when the FBI agent was coming in, you knew problems were being solved. Suddenly in, in popular culture, in movies and sometimes on television, when the FBI guy came in, you know, uh-oh, this guy could actually be a secret assassin of our hero. So, you know, there are these cultural shifts that mirrored a lot of the, you know, the mass political perception of the government. But now uh, it seems like this skepticism of the government is coming from the right, whereas before I think you heard, you know, well, the government, you know, they're very establishment-oriented and they're the ones keeping down the hippies and all this other stuff and taking out Allende and everything. Uh, are you surprised to see the pendulum swing so far? Well, I don't know. Surprised is the word. I mean, yeah, there is a mass... I mean, I imagine there's a lot of people who you wouldn't sit down and have a cup of coffee with who are now saying, you know what, Peter, you were right. The government is corrupt! <laughs> 
Well, there's a mass movement on the right. Um, and I don't want to, I'm, I'm going to try to put this in as neutral terms as possible so that we can include everybody in the discussion. There's a mass movement that, uh, that, is, that has incredible energy, that uh, sees a common enemy, that has, I'm not even sure what their goals are. I mean, sometimes they just say they want to own the libs. Well, you know, we usually, there's uh, policy uh, demands. You know, we, we want equality or we want a health program or we want uh, you know, any number of other um, programs that the left uh, espouses or the liberals espouse. I don't know if they're, they, the, the right wing calls people, the left in this country, people like OAC and Bernie Sanders and uh, Elizabeth Warren, that if in Europe, they would barely be center-left. Yeah, universal health care. That's uh, about a 50-, 60-year-old concept. Uh, of which every of conservative in uh, Europe uh, supports, uh, every conservative government. Well, I think Nixon at one time was yeah. interested in that, right? Sure. I, I just read the other day that he wanted to put, uh, I think, a woman on the Supreme Court back in the 70s, and they said, no, you don't. So, I mean, it's kind of curious. Well, we're in a transitional period uh, in American history, uh, and it makes a lot of people uncomfortable on the, that, ex, that are um, active on the, uh, what we call the right. And, uh, you know, they don't know what's happening to this country, all the, the values that mostly are around life as they imagined it was some previous time. I'm not, I've always asked when people would say, make uh, America great again, I'm thinking, where, where, what's your benchmark year? You know, 1955? Well, uh, there were some things going wrong then, too. You know, there was like a Cold War and segregation. So I don't know what they really mean. They don't like what's going on. They, I'm sure when they hear President Biden say, I want to put um, a woman on the Supreme Court, a black woman on the Supreme Court, they go, oh, they're taking over, you know. I don't know about that. I think it's a little bit of a broad brush. Okay, yeah. I, I do. It's I the mean, only way you can I'm talk. Say, I'm, not saying, that, I'm not saying that does ex doesn't exist. I'm sure it absolutely does exist. But I think that's, that's a big broad brush. I think a majority of them are just, they, they care about their families and their money, and they don't want to be taxed more, and they are worried about their jobs. I mean, I, Trump, Trump really nailed it. There's a lot of working people that were you know, wondered where, where did my, where did all these jobs go? Yeah. Well, and he, and he nailed that. And that used to be a very democratic position. Well, he has, you know, there were more, uh, more companies uh, left the United States during his tenure because it's not something that Joe Biden or, or how many uh, people know that though? Well, they don't. I mean, and, <laughs> and mostly I would think that people on the right are operating under lots of illusions about what the government is responsible for. Like Biden is responsible for inflation or gas prices going high. Uh, but you know, any president uh, in office gets that's blamed part for of the, it. That's part of the job. Yeah, that's part of the job. And you, you can you, do something you, about you it. it. And albeit very little, but you can still do something but about it. When you think, you know, there's very programmatic demands on the part of uh, liberal politicians about, you know, universal health care, uh, you know, free college tuition, all you know, a whole raft renewable of renewable energy. What is that going to cost me, though? I mean, that, well, and there, and there but, that's what. But what is what's the programmatic demands on the right? Well, I'm, I don't want. I wouldn't. Don't want anything to change. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't want to pay. I don't want to pay for somebody else. Well, I not, mean, I'm just dead. I they're not that. doing real well. People in you know that, uh, you know that about forty five percent of people in this country are either poor or near poor. Sure. You know, I mean, what sometimes you and I will spend on a drink is less than they make an hour. Just your drink. 
<laughs> Not Altus. It's the affordable there, <laughs> premium beer that's back. It's hard to nail it down in these groups. Well, right? let's just and leave it at this. We're in this transitional period, and that pushes people into activity. I'm amazed at, and I don't, and I don't know, maybe you've always felt this way for a while, but I'm amazed at how strong identity politics are where people are like, whatever my guy says and my side says, that is the way it is. Period. And both sides do this and they dig in their heels. And I've just never understood that because I'd rather look at an issue or one thing or another and then decide on it. But do, do you feel like that's stronger now, this whole idea? And is that because of the internet of all well, things? Yeah, the internet has been both a blessing and a curse. I mean, obviously, this is a blessing, what we're doing and our capacity to be in touch with yeah, so there's many people. all the information in the world is on Which, there. That's you know when I, I when I was a teenager late you know 18 19 years old I sold shoes and one thing they told me never bring out more than two pair or you'll totally confuse uh, <laughs> the customer and maybe they you know have a good uh, chance they won't even buy anything yeah that's the Costco model though yeah to limit choice and so uh, people used to say to me one question you know sometimes and I'll always admit this, questions I dance, if I say I'm dancing around a question because I really don't know the answer, people will ask me, how do I know what to believe? And that's a tough one. Yeah. You know, and I mean, it'd be easy for me to say, well, just believe, trust me, believe what I say. Well, well that's what our well, leaders say. Yeah. Feel, and, feelings are always going to be fact. That's just, I mean, that's just human nature. Um, but this kind of brings us to, to the whole Rogan aspect of it mm -hmm. where, um, I think instead of saying, get the, I don't like what this person says, it's wrong, get them off and kind of heading it off, you know, getting at it as opposed to learning how to react to something. Does that well, make sense? Let's, like, nobody let's knows tell how people a little bit about the Rogan situation. Joe Rogan had a doctor on, I believe it's Dr. Is it Kevin Malone? Yes. Mm -hmm. Who is, uh, is, is renowned for proposing, uh, COVID solutions and talking about COVID in a way that almost every other scientist says is inaccurate, irresponsible, and dangerous. And Rogan, who has offered some of his own skepticism about COVID, um, has had it and, and took all sorts of, you know, uh, uh, he all took ivermectin. Of, and yeah, he, he, he took all the stuff that people say, oh, yeah, if you take this, you'll be okay. But doctors say you won't be okay, but he is okay. He had him on and I think just allowed him to say what he had to say. He didn't offer much of a challenge or any, any counter to it. And so Rogan has been uh, criticized. People are saying he should be taken off of Spotify because they have exclusive rights to his podcast, which is like, after ours, the second best podcast <laughs> in the world. About 11 million downloads a day. Well, we're catching or an up. episode. We're catching up. But, um, and, um, and Neil Young said take my music off Spotify because I don't want to be in the same platform with someone who's that irresponsible. And then Joni Mitchell said, remember me? And then yeah. take my stuff off of Spotify and Spotify did. And so there's a great debate now over whether or not Joe Rogan should be in some way censored. Now, when I promoted this show on Facebook and Twitter, I called him a whack job and some people objected to that. I think that was probably in, in uh, politic on my part. I just think he's, He's kind of a, a blowhard meathead who's kind of interesting, but just goes on and on and on. I, I think he's very self-aware. I mean, he know he knows what he is. 
Yeah, I, it's, he, he ain't my cup of tea. I just don't want to hear about aliens and. Well, he said he's stuff. going to try to present both sides, and sometimes he's but, wrong. Yeah, and what have you. you know the. But he's been a big critic of cancel culture, and what he's, which I think we also agree that people should be able to speak freely without fearing that they'll never be able to say anything again in the public forum. But but I think one of the things we'd we'd love to have you weigh in on, Peter, is you know is he being is he being. Uh, uh, is pressure being applied to Joe Rogan to make him a more responsible broadcaster or is Joe Rogan's right to express ideas that might not be in the mainstream being suppressed because he is being, uh, he's being beaten up on, although it's tough to imagine beating up Joe Rogan. He knows a lot right. of Taekwondo. Let me just start with a meme. If you're under 20, you say, <laughs> you know, who's Neil Young? Right. If you're between 20 and 60, you're saying, Neil Young's still alive? <laughs> and if you're over 60, you say, what's Spotify? Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. But, um, well, I'm very sensitive to that because ever since I've been on the air, people have tried to stop me from broadcasting. Sure. Have contacted advertisers, have contacted, in, in, uh, in the case of WRI, have contacted the management and said, uh, why is he on? When I was on W, my interview programs of authors was on WCSX. They would, Sunday mornings, they would call the station, why is he on Sunday morning? You know, and, uh, and and I had a national. You should have said, then why were you at church? You shouldn't have been well, listening to that. Well, I remember one time I had an atheist on on Sunday morning, and they were coming for church with their oh, family. Oh. And I felt like saying, hey, don't, isn't there an on and off switch on your radio? But yeah. um, when I, I had a nationally syndicated talk show between 2000 and 2003, it was owned by the United Auto Workers, and I was, and I was on noon to three, Monday through Friday, and I was supposed to be the, the left alternative to Rush Limbaugh. Oh. And our uh, slogan was, uh, their slogan was, Flush Rush. And, uh, and I started off with 14 affiliates. And after two and a half years, I was down to three because every station got pressured either by the advertisers or the advertisers got pressured by people. So I'm very sensitive uh, to that. I have to say, and uh, you know, like I said, I listened to what uh, albums were called, LPs, uh, <laughs> long playing, although they only play for about 17 minutes, um, that uh, uh, I'd, I'd never, I'd heard of Joe Rogan, never heard his podcast, but uh, it always uh, makes me uncomfortable when I see this. Rush Limbaugh was, and, and also Fox News is often uh, the target of, boyc uh, of campaigns to boycott their advertisers. And I'm and I don't like the uh, what Fox News uh, Fox News puts out. I didn't like what Rush Limbaugh did, but uh, if they can do it to him and them, they uh, did it to me. And in one case, successfully, I I got flushed, <laughs> and uh, he got a quarter of a billion dollar ten year contract <laughs> and what some you, oxy from yeah. his maid. What yeah. do you feel about um, when uh, Twitter or uh, YouTube or Facebook deplatform someone? Because a lot of time I, you know, the private companies, and a lot of times I feel like making a business decision, not always the biggest fan of the business decision, but I totally understand why they do it. Not sure. saying it's good. Ford, Chrysler, uh, other companies like that had a no rush, no Howard policy. They wouldn't advertise on those shows because they didn't want to get in a too polarizing. Yeah, yeah, for their uh, their potential that's customers. A that's a mistake. And if it's a well, yeah. Most people buy cars too. I, 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 uh, I know, 
But um, the the point being, and you said it, private company. Mm. And so how can you you say, okay, I I hate them, or I don't like that they did that, or I think they're wrong, or I think they're suppressing so-and-so, or they pressured Joe into apologizing, uh, whatever. It's their damn company. It's called capitalism. Were you surprised that Neil Young, Mr. Anti-Authority himself, went after it this way? Because I... I didn't like the way he did it. It seemed a little, and I know there's huge uh, plug, content. Plug your ears, ML. Plug your ears here. I thought it was a little virtue signaling, um, because uh, he's not really losing much. He's got plenty of money. Sure. I felt he would have been better served to go on his show, to go on Joe Rogan's show, or call him up. Yeah, I mean, he would have. That's the one thing I like about Rogan. He will spend time with someone and have anybody on. I mean, isn't he a liberal? He had Bernie Sanders on for an no, hour. He, a libertarian. He, yeah. he, he described yeah. himself as a libertarian, but he said he voted. He would have supported Bernie for the Democratic nominee, but he ended up voting for, I think, Joe Jorgensen, who was a libertarian right. candidate. But I think he supported Trump in 2016. So, I mean, he's all over the map. I mean, yeah. the thing about Rogan is, and, and I don't listen to his show just because I don't have that kind of time, but he, um, you know, he, he kind of, he's not really anchored anywhere. You know, I mean, he's willing to go. But isn't that a good thing? No, no, I, I, think, I think it's, it's very good thing. to go with wherever the best argument is. But, y- you know, to... To, the thing about Rogan is I've always said, as someone who's been in the media and, and we, we, we're concerned about freedom of speech, is you tolerate the extreme to protect the routine. So in other words, if, if some crazy bastards want to march down Main Street and you hate them and you hate everything they stand for, you kind of let them go and do it and you hope nobody goes to see them because you might want to march and somebody might think you're a crazy bastard sure. that nobody cares about. Yeah. And and with the Rogan situation, you know, I, 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 I would say I'm opposed to somebody saying shut him down, but I do kind of like that some pressure was applied to him and his response was, okay, I'll try and do better. I mean, that feels to me like uh like responding to uh to voices that express reasonable concerns. I think Mark though had a, a great point about uh, would have, everybody would have been better served if he would have said, "Hey Joe, you're so full of it." Actually, we can say the S word, can't we? You can say anything you want. Boy, I still can't. I'm, I'm still radio <laughs> ready with the beeper. <laughs> uh, people, that's like LPs. People probably don't even know what the hell you mean. That's right. That's like, put the knee, they, they hear that Mars song. Put the needle on the record. And they're like, yeah. they put the what on the who? <laughs> Where? Yeah. And the beat yeah. goes on. But yeah, that w- I mean, talk about a show that would have garnered some ratings. Yeah. Now, know. see, that would have garnered some ratings, but I actually have no interest in Neil Young. And Joe Rogan talking about COVID because I don't think either one of them but it's know not, shit about right, it. Right, but it's not necessarily about COVID. It's yeah. about presenting that side and that viewpoint and why Neil has a problem with it and why Joe does and it. We're, we're talking if about- they want to talk about Neil's beef, I would listen to that. But to those two guys, I'm not sitting here thinking, do I get a shot because Joe Rogan thinks I should or because Neil... Neil but that- I mean, these guys I'm sure are familiar with needles. I'm not sure how much, uh, you well, know... Look you know, at it on a micro level, right? Look on people... like I, I just blows my mind that people won't be friends with people based on a political stance. Why don't you just fucking yeah, that's talk bullshit. to them? Just talk to them. Right? I mean, we don't all agree on the same thing. I, you know, I have lots of friends and, uh, I mean, a hardcore MAGA dude. I'd have a lot of... You, you wouldn't know, find anything in common with well, him? You, well, I don't know why I'm saying this. I play <laughs> handball uh, in leagues with uh, the, all the East Siders are completely these right-wing yeah. MAGA guys. And you know what we talk about politics? Zero. Yeah. Yeah, we just play handball. Because people are a little well, more complex than just... So that's that. something I was wondering earlier... You on the left, very skeptical of government. Now people on the right are very skeptical of government. 
do you ever feel like saying, what took you guys so long? <laughs> well, or, sure. or do you say, wait a minute, if they don't trust government, maybe I should have trusted government because I disagree with them on everything else? So is it like, whoa, you blew my mind? I mean, I don't want to get this way into an, another uh, subject. But here, I'm looking at Biden. He's all of a sudden uh, letting out these uh, drilling leases on public land that he said that he wasn't going to. Uh, he's, you know, fronting off uh, the, the Russia on its doorstep. And I'm thinking, well, it's an American president. That's, uh, that's what they do. So it's just a matter of whoever's in power but may y- not be trustworthy. You know, uh, people often characterize me as rebellious, but I was always a model employee. I did absolutely, <laughs> what, no matter yeah. what they asked me to do, uh, I did. I figured it's their company. I'm Wait, did their you employee. have any good? Did you have any good management battles over a guest or anything like that? Or? Never. They never. Really? One time, they uh, they somebody said something on the air about going postal, and you know the one yeah. of the first time that happened at the Royal Oak yeah, Post Royal Office thirty years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, the the, uh, the I don't know whether it was the government or the uh, the union, but they wanted to have somebody on, and they said, "Yeah, I said I don't want to interview this guy," you know, and they said, "You really have to." So I did. I mean, that it was that lightweight, you know. Uh, in in terms of defense and like when Doug Podell was the WRIF manager program director uh, he would say boy you were hot last night I said oh were you listening he said no I got about 12 calls (laughs) telling me they'd never they'd never listen to Riff again because of me right they would never listen so any broadcast you you want some reaction so what would any uh, programmer not what would any programmer do when they if you figure twelve people are taking the time to call you to say I hate this guy and I'm never going to listen to your station again? To me, the impetus as a uh, as a business manager would have said we got to get rid of this guy. He's alienating. Uh, our audience, which, you know, I'll tell you, when they... Um, I might have waited to see if they called again a week later and said, <laughs> I am still not, because he drove me crazy last night. Sure, I mean, you want some kind of reaction. The last show I did was uh, Halloween 2016, and I would say that uh, two-thirds easily of the callers were pro-Trump. And, and, and this is, we were still owned by a greater media, but I'm sure the Beasley people were listening and they're thinking, wait a minute, this guy is so out of step with our listeners, which wasn't necessarily true. I mean, the, the liberals were letting me do the dirty work, you right. know, shooting these people down or trying to. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it, it's a wild, you, crazy, wacky world. You were saying before the show, you were mm-hmm. trying to figure out how many people you've interviewed on Night Call. Hundreds and hundreds, at least. Yeah. What are what are some like? Well, who are some of the big? Well, names? wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? You were on the yeah, wait air. Who show is this? You were on the air for forty six years. Yeah. At least fifty weeks a year, right? Right. Right. So that's got to be a couple thousand. I mean, it can't, it's got to be more than hundreds. You, you know what? I would interview two people a week. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Two twenty five minute uh, interviews. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking you can safely say thousands without fear okay, of contradiction. Well, I like that. I will from now on. And I'm bad at math. It could be 20,000. Let me just just work this yeah. out. Really. Sean, so have people, you got your calculator hand? You know, I did, not I, have very, I did not have very many famous people on. I had the director of the organization you mentioned, ML, uh, the Christic Institute, but also, um, I don't know, Frank Zappa and Jackson Brown. Not, not big names. Not big names. They were usually, I was interested in the content of ideas. And interviewing, uh, I don't know, you know, shoot me before, or I guess after sunrise, right? Um, interviewing famous stars, 
never interested me very much. I know people like to hear it, you know, and famous musicians, you know, what. And so uh, what was the name of your first band? Well, well, it was the Mumble Pukes, you know, and I bought a, <laughs> I bought a guitar for $3 at Sears, you know. Yeah, okay. But that was what was made, that's what made Night Call so great is you would hear people who you couldn't hear anywhere else. And other than Night Call, uh, the only way I even knew who the Christic Institute was is they sent cassettes with their lectures right. to the state news, a college paper I worked at. So the only places you're going to hear guests like that would be Peter Werby on WRIF very late on Sunday night, or you happen to travel in a circle where somebody passed you a pamphlet or sent, gave you a cassette and said, listen to this. And, and people used to do stuff like this. It's like, come on over. We're going to listen to this thing. I have, it's going to blow your mind. Now there's like uh, click this link and yeah. get back to me, you know, like unfriend me, do whatever. But, but that show really, I think, left or right, it exposed you to all kinds of perspectives and all kinds of thought where, unfortunately for me, my mind would be racing until it was time to try and get to school. But it was, uh, it was a very provocative show. And, and as you are here, you know, steady Eddie, totally calm demeanor, somebody call up with some crazy shit. I think you treated everybody with respect. I don't remember you ever raising your voice i don't know if i just missed those episodes but uh think were so. there people who who got yeah. on your nerves uh, like a total racist and i my usual line was i said you know my friend i don't know why i called him my friend you know my friend they don't pay me enough to listen to you or put you on the air and i did hang yeah, you were on. very gracious you 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 that's walked not, them to the door that's not very gracious well i, I mean <laughs> that's that's a lot better than do. saying hey adolf call somebody else <laughs> click wow you know, i mean <laughs> I like that. Where, I, I know where was I, where was I, I in nineteen seventy? I, I could have set you up. Why didn't I have that in line? Uh, yeah, I, I helped on, you with Buddy Guy. What else can I do? I, I was on the front page of the uh, state or news. Or Bo Diddley. Yeah. I was on the front page of the Michigan State News, the student paper. I was uh, I was we were um, myself and other people were part of this group called the Humanist Society. And the the university put uh, in this is early sixties put into uh, place uh, a committee that had to screen all of the speakers that the organizations brought to uh, campus. So I got together and I said, uh, we're not doing this. I was right? just going to say, how could you support that? Yeah. That does not sound and very Peter Werby to me. Well, I said, let's have a test case. And they said, who should we get? And I said, let's get somebody from the Communist Party. <laughs> 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 and they said, well, can't we just get like a, you know, somebody from the Nurses Association? Right. So we brought this communist to um, campus, which actually created a riot. I mean, a, a physical riot of these, uh, you know, people that opposed uh, him. And so I was, uh, I, I wasn't suspended. The group was kicked off a of campus, the Humanist Society, and uh, myself and others, the officers in the group were, I don't know, we, we, we couldn't hold a meeting for a month or something like that. But Exiled. Yeah, exiled. Wow. Yeah. Exiled on Grand River. Great album title. So that, that was not the... the uh, the charity that George Costanza started on Seinfeld. <laughs> the Human Fund? The Human Fund for Humans? That was before. Yeah, that was humans after. Helping Humans. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you can, they still exist. You can Google the Humanist Society. So okay. it's been wow. six years, and in the six years off rip, actually oh more than five. I know. Happy anniversary. Yeah. Um, you wrote a book. Thank you. Summer yeah. on Fire. Yeah. Oop, where are we? Yep, you're there. We, we'll all hold it up. But a novel, I would expect you to write more uh, memoir uh, 
nonfiction, a novel, though. Well, a lot of people said, why didn't you write a memoir? And you have to have one important thing for that. Oh, no, what, a, 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 what, a memory? A memory. A dashing? <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, But Peter, you have a story for everything. Well, you know what? It's all, uh, you know, someone's called, uh, a fancy word is a raconteur, right? You yeah. have all uh-huh. these little stories. And yeah, I remember in 1966 when I was walking on Grand River. But I, I look at memoirs and I have no idea how people compose these. A friend of mine wrote um, uh, this memoir of her connection to the surrealist movement, you know, all these crazy artists. Yeah, and Dali. And- Dali, yeah, exactly. And um, you've been watching The Money Heist. No I I have I oh, you know okay. like, I can't watch it because I don't want I don't want to read it. Yeah, Ma- Mark watched <laughs> the musical Hello Dolly. <laughs> I, he I, loved I'm, it. I'm a big fan. But big um, Ethel Merman guy. So this friend of mine, uh, Penelope Rosemont, she is saying so. In 1964, we went to and then the address in Paris and met. And in the room was four and five and six and seven people. And I'm thinking either it's fiction uh, or embellished. She, or, or, uh, or embellished, or she uh, she kept these this incredible journal. Well, I think you could do that. I mean, you know. Well, this was more fun. This was much more fun yeah. doing because I wasn't constrained by actual history. I mean, people. Uh, I'll give you an example. So, what's the plot? Tell us. Tell us what well, happens. Well, you know, in in many ways, there's not a plot. There's a, a thread through it. I've said that if you're maybe 60 and older, it's a memoir or an autobiography of a generation. But there's a character in there's characters in there that work for this newspaper called the Fifth State, which uh, real. I, I, I yeah. did, and my wife Marilyn did, and the character, the two main characters are Paul and Michelle, and I said not to be confused with us, and someone said, well, you might have. Maybe call them like, you know, Art and Alice or something like that. If you didn't want them to think of them, you they were they were you. But here's an here's an example um, that there's this one point where they they uh, drop acid, man. You know, like take LSD. I don't know if hmm. people still know the slang. Um, and <laughs> they roll on X. And they were listening to LPs really in the book a lot. Um, and uh, they decide to go to the Grandy Ballroom to he- hear music. So Paul is um, got you know is beginning to peak on acid, and he's driving the motorcycle with Michelle on the back, and there's a whole bit about that. So and on the uh, and on the way back, he's so high that Michelle, who knows how to ride a, mo- a motorcycle, she drives the motorcycle back. So someone said to me, um, uh, "She can't ride a motorcycle." It would be impossible. I mean, I I did have a motorcycle, and she did ride with me, <clears throat> but I never did that. So they said, "Well, why did you put that in there?" I said, "Well, for one it's thing, fiction. It's yeah, fiction. Exactly. It's interesting. Here's this woman riding the motorcycle, and also the other thing is, I could have said Paul and Michelle got in a car and went uh, and drove to the Grandy and got out of the car, as opposed to this whole long thing about tripping as they're driving down West Grand Boulevard and right. you know uh, turning on to." Um, uh, yeah, turning on to Grand River, where the, the Grandy was. So there's a lot of license. So there's not a, a single incident here, incident in here that's, uh, that's exactly taken from my life. But all the historical stuff is about the Detroit riot, or what uh, many people like to call it, the Detroit Rebellion, about the war in Vietnam, about, uh, I don't know, uh, there, there's a whole section in there about a, a psychologist, Wilhelm Reich, you know who... 
Uh, My favorite character is uh, Fark Melhauer. <laughs> that guy's great. He's the villain, of course. Uh, but that's, <laughs> I know who that yeah, is. Yeah, bad guy. The, 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 riot, very, the riots, It, it took very little imagination to make him evil. You, you lived in Detroit during the riots. Sure. You lived near the Algiers. Yeah, right. Yeah. You read it. I didn't read it. I read articles about your book. Okay. All right. Good. He did the Cliff's Notes. <laughs> I mean, the book, the book is about one-third, um, at best, about the so a, riots. Yeah, but it's not yeah. total nonfiction. I mean, no, no. Everything in that is as close to reality as I could. I mean, what I, did what, okay? What did Peter Werby do during the riots and during? Well, some of it sounds we like he did. took acid and rode a motorcycle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, but, but, but not that, on the back. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, Harvey Ovshinsky and I, who was the founder of the Fifth Estate, we went out like good intrepid reporters and were on the street. We were at the uh, the scene of mass lootings on at Grand River and West Grand Boulevard. For instance, we went to the Bivouac headquarters where the National Guard was and had, um, I, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll put my toe in the water. I'll actually swear, although it makes me uncomfortable for my radio experience. So Harvey Ovshinsky and I roll up to uh, Central High School where the National Guard was bivouacked, and they have a sentry point there, and a guy's got a, this big M1 Garand with a bayonet on it for some odd reason. And, and the guy says, uh, you know, he sees we're white, and he says, uh, what, what are you doing? Can I help you? And I said, uh, we're reporters, uh, and we'd like to interview some of you. And he said, do you have any press credentials? Which we did have, and we showed him. He backs up, puts the gun in our face, and said, uh, uh, I know your motherfucking paper. Get the fuck out of here. I'll blow your head off. And, and then I... Uh, being and having been born and raised in Detroit, one of the ways you can diffuse this situation is just leave. So I just, I didn't even say anything to him. I looked over, which is hard, looked over kind of my right shoulder, so I didn't even have to look at him again, backed the car out and just took off. Yeah. And uh, Harvey was, uh, you know, being from West Bloomfield uh, or Bloomfield Hills was a little mm. little more shaken. You know, I said, you never had a gun pointed at you before, you know? It's one way to suppress free speech. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Point yeah. a gun wow. at someone. It's crazy. So that was very real. And there, there's, there's other things. But like I mean, a lot of it I did, I took from... Research from the Detroit Free Press at the time, for instance. Okay. Well, you know, most fiction is grounded in fact. There is a great book, a Michigan-based book called Starvation Lake by uh, a guy who was a, a former Detroit news reporter, became a Wall Street Journal reporter, wrote it, named Brian Gruley. It's a great book. You should read it. But when you read it, and I don't want to spoil it, you'll know exactly what the uh, actual events are that he's fictionalized as major plot points in the book. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, you look at it, and if you've been paying attention to what's been going on in the world for the last 20 years, like, oh, shit, he's really talking about this, or, oh, that's really that. And one of them involves a, a, a scandal involving a reporter, and another one involves uh, a scandal involving an auto company, and he took those two things and said, oh, you know what, I put these together, I changed some names, I changed some circumstances, I make the good guy the bad guy, you know, and, and I've, got, I've got a huge device for this book. And, and I, as someone who's tried and come very close but failed to sell my, my Kilpatrick Detroit at the turn of the millennium book, I've often thought the way to actually make that book work is to fictionalize it and in my book, the Manugian Mansion party would have happened when in reality it didn't. And the mayor would have played a role in the murder of Strawberry, which he didn't. But you put those things in there, all of a sudden you sure. have the book that everybody wants because everybody wants to believe, believe those it, things yeah. happened even though they didn't happen. So I think the root of all 
I mean, and even Shakespeare, you know, there was a Danish prince named, I think his name was like Harmlet or something or, or Omelet, but uh, he just, <laughs> he, he dicked around with it and he's pretty good with iambic pentameter. Now you got, we're still talking about this crazy guy 500 years well, later. Well, you've got um, one story here and a lot of it is based on events that passed through my life. If I had to do a second one, I, I think I'd be stuck. I can't do it. <clears throat> and think about people, novelists that have written like 30 books. I mean, they, they are inventing characters and scenarios and plots and conclusions out of uh, whole cloth. I mean, I, that's not me. Someone read this. Uh, in fact, this on the back, um, is she on here? Yeah, Kara Hoffman, a award-winning author of Running and So Much Pretty. She, uh, who writes uh, books for was published by Simon and Schuster, and she said I liked it, but she said, but it kind of re reads like a Fifth Estate article. So you know, <laughs> gee, I wonder why. Yeah, well, because I've been a journalist all my life, not a fiction writer. Right. And so the idea of creating characters out of nothing, and I, I kicked it around something that was set in Cuba in 1970 in a plot to assassinate Castro, and I couldn't fill it in. I mean, I you know what I could. Um, I'm you know I'm not. Uh, the greatest writer in the world but if you work at it and uh, but I just thought this is going to be excruciatingly hard and uh, I don't know you know I've been writing this one I can't uh, believe how popular this has gotten and it goes back to broadcasting like do you 100% believe there's anybody listening to us right now I don't know for. I don't uh, even think Sean is. Yeah, yeah. We, and I, I think we can Sean. see we, him. We know Sean because is not. I, I mean I'm I've been shocked since I've ended my show <clears throat> How many people, including you now, ML, that say I used to listen all the time, and that and other people say that affected me. You turned me on to stuff. Do you remember when you interviewed so and so? And I think, oh my God, people actually listen to it. Well, when I wrote this, when I wrote Summer on Fire, the people said, "Who did you write it for?" And I wrote it for mainly for my radio audience. Oh, okay. Because you know, people I know, they go, "Oh, I loved it." You know, I could see just you and Marilyn, you know, riding on a motorcycle, you know, or. Or there's some violence in there, and you know, say, "Oh, Marilyn, Marilyn, she kicked ass." And I'm thinking, oh, "No, she didn't. Not really." You know, Michelle did in the book, um, but uh, I, I think that's who's been appreciative. Also, it's got a big musical presence. There's 80 bands and groups that are named in it. I didn't even think about this when I did it. And a friend of mine, Andrew Smith, um, who's a prof in where is it? Tennessee Tech University, who uses this in his class, of all things. Um, and he put together uh -oh, a Spotify list of <laughs> a soundtrack for the book that you can go to peterwerby.com. And there's, there's also footnotes, which is pretty unusual for a novel. But those are uh, historical footnotes, like when, to, to some extent, to correct things or to, um, to say things that... Um, you know, that would make more sense to know about how they uh, really happen. Um, so there's a lot of music in it. So, you know, it, uh, a lot of the Grandy people uh, liked it because there's scenes at the Grandy Ballroom. Sure. Well, that, I'm, uh, I'm listening, Mark and Mike, by the way. <laughs> oh, there so there, there's the answer no, to your question, Peter. There's the answer. Yeah, no, so, I'm listening to, uh, apparently we've got uh, David Foster Wallace's uncle here. He loves the, he's, <laughs> He loved the footnotes too. <laughs> okay, <laughs> king of footnotes. Yeah. yeah. So, where do people find this book, Peter? Well, you can, you know, it's one of those everywhere things. I mean, are, what's book the beat? I presume what, source booksellers. Peterwerby.com. You know, you're That's Detroit. Prob probably not at probably not at Borders. 
Is there, is there <laughs> no, does that even still exist? Yeah, yeah. No, they're yeah. But both um, uh, Bookbeat and Oak Park and Source Booksellers have sold over 300 copies. Right. Just there, which is amazing uh, run for it. And that, uh, you know, now uh, it's in its third printing. There's uh, an e-book. There's an audio book coming. And that's all at, yeah, peterwerby.com, including if you're not, you know, not from around here, how to get, you can go to, hate to say it, Amazon, you know. Sure. Lefties right. don't like the, you know, you're giving Bezos more money, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I can get it in two days. Yeah. Well, Bezos, for <laughs> all his faults, saved the Washington right. Post, so not everybody's all bad. That's true. But, uh, so Peter Werby, I presume that's P-E-T-E-R-W-E-R-B-E.com? Right. And okay. we'll have a link to that on our website, which is Soul of Detroit. Dot com. So if you can't remember how to spell it, it's pretty simple. But uh, you know we're here to help everybody. And you, so you also, can find that link on our sorry, website. My apologies. No, please. There's uh, you know sex, rock and roll, violence, bomb plots. Not on our website. No, but <laughs> okay. in the book. <laughs> oh, blasphemy, sex and blasphemy. We actually have that on our website. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> the sex not the sex and no no just the blasphemy okay <laughs> mostly from Sean sex and blasphemy yeah. that's that's my favorite parts it's a, another good name for an album sex and blasphemy <laughs> yeah yeah it's damn good seeing you the man. manic well, street preachers I was gonna say, do that it's good one. seeing you but I see you all the time because you're always walking down the street oh you're always walking the na- you're like own this neighborhood right. you're like yeah, the mayor yeah I walked over here did you really yeah sure yeah it's not that far yeah but I always see I, Peter walking around am I, am I out of here no, I no want you can stick hang. around. Okay, yeah. but, no. but Peter, it's been a pleasure to have you on. I, I, I really miss Night Call. It was the kind of show yeah. that was worth staying up for. And, and these days, it's the kind of show that uh, I guess you could listen to at your leisure. Have you thought about doing doing it again as a podcast? Yes. Do you or, miss it? You could go tell Drew on your way up there and say, hey, put down the Dunkin' Donuts coffee and uh, sign me up. You know, it sounds like work. Here's what they, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, broadcasting. You do it right, or you could do it like we do it. And, well, you know what? Uh, I, I, I hate to be serious, but you know it—it's not easy, and preparation and uh, having the the skills uh, don't come that easy. So, it—you it, don't just get on the air and talk, you know. Um, that's what we've been doing wrong. Unless you're Damn listening it. to. It's funny you said. A lot of people think that's all you do, which, yeah. which is why there's so many bad podcasts out there, like Carlos and Sean. <laughs> Yeah, I get, you guys are giving your uh, your Rams 49ers pick this week, right? <laughs> you you want to hear? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to hear a Grandy story, Grandy Ballroom yes. story? Sure. Okay. In in the book, Somewhere on Fire. This is available at available source every, bookseller, yeah. bookbeat, uh, uh, and uh, peterwerby.com. Yeah. Yeah, hold it up one more time, please. <laughs> you know, I, I've learned one of the things I used to uh, tell guests when you're talking about your book, don't call it the book. Just say that if you say the title forty six times, it's you know it's okay. Uh, Are you referring to Summer on Fire? Summer on Fire. That's uh, a Detroit novel, isn't it? Yes. Summer on Fire. <laughs> anyway, in the book, Paul and Michelle get to the Grandy Ballroom, and there's a picket line out there. And the pickets are angry because Uncle Russ, Russ Gibb, the the uh, the impresario of the Grandy Ballroom, has doubled the price of entrance from I don't know, like two fifty to five dollars because Cream is playing, right? Cream, Big Brother, and the Holding Company and the MC Five. Uh, and you, you know, you, it's not a bad triple yeah. bill. Well, yeah, but you don't want to have to pay more than two dollars and fifty cents to get. I, in, that's right? why I haven't seen a concert in seventy-two years. <laughs> <laughs> but so, um, and I'll tell you that Mozart was worth it. 
So there was, so there's this big picket line, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Uncle, Uncle, the picket sign say, Uncle Russ is a capitalist pig. You know, we won't pay, we won't pay and all that. So Paul goes inside and then Russ calls him into his office and starts berating him for the picket line for which he had nothing to do with. Okay. In reality, about, uh, I'm trying to remember when, uh, Uncle Russ left us. But before that, obviously, I was interviewing him, and, uh, you know, they brought him in. I think he was in a wheelchair then. Uh, you know, it was pretty late in his life. And I said, uh, Russ, I can't begin to tell you what a pleasure it is to have you here, to, to honor you for what you've done for Detroit Rock and Roll. And he said, yeah, that's not what you and your commie pals said. This is on WCSX. <laughs> yeah. You and your commie pals said when you were picketing me and calling me a, a capitalist pig. <laughs> It stuck with them all those years. Yeah. So, well, Peter, I think you'll appreciate that truth is the best defense in a libel action. Right. So I think you're probably okay. There you go. Yeah. Oh, well, that's great. Well, Summer on Fire. That's on Summer on Fire. Yeah. A, a Detroit, Detroit novel. novel. Read about Uncle Russ. Is he really Uncle Russ in the book? Or is he now like Uncle... The only two people that have their actual names are, well, three. Uh, Uncle Russ, John Sinclair... And um, who was the uh, the, the poet, Panthers. the author, the White Panthers, and the manager of the MC5, and a judge, Robert Colombo, who is libeled beyond belief. But have, looking at the Associated Press libel guide, it turns out you cannot libel uh, deceased people. So this is so, not the Robert Colombo I know, who's alive and well. This is a. This was a judge of recorder's court who sentenced John Sinclair to okay. ten yeah. years in prison for two marijuana joints. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, now he could run a very lucrative dispensary. Instead, he did time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So John Sinclair, did you happened. know that he got the first? Uh, he bought the first legal marijuana in yep. Michigan. Yeah. And, uh, when it came legal. I think I may have read that because uh, Bill McGraw is a friend of mine, Bill, and he would have okay. written about that. If, if anybody wrote about that, it would have been Bill McGraw, Love uh, Bill. formerly of the Free Press. I yeah. was just at uh, dinner with him not so long ago. Okay. Peter, are you surprised that marijuana is legal to the point that it is now? Did well, you ever if, think you'd see that? Yeah, uh, no. Yeah, because that it moved, worked. That it, moved fast. It, it worked for the prison industrial complex. Had you know clients uh, for the prisons, and you could fill it up and have little towns have a little uh, you know little economy based around jailing people who oh, yeah. smoking flowers. Um, and yeah, and now uh, from putting people in jail from having for having minuscule amounts of marijuana to having billboards, yeah. you know, two blocks from here. Oh, there's more money now. Yeah, house of Dank. You went from the House of Correction to the House of Dank. Yeah. You know, someone told me that uh, that the city of Detroit wouldn't let them use that name, Dank. Oh, really? Yeah. But but that is what it's called now, isn't it? Yeah, that's what the kids tell me. And 420 apparently has some significance as well. <laughs> I continue to spend most of my free time in a hyperbaric chamber and only drink rainwater and grain alcohol. There you but go. For the for the more uh, risky uh, lifestyle people out there, yeah, there's the House of Dank uh, and all that other good stuff. So a lot of people I know are writing books though. Uh, any of them like Summer on Fire, a Detroit novel? <laughs> you mean this one? <laughs> you mean Summer on Fire, a Detroit novel? You can go to PeterWerby.com. Is that where it's available? Yeah. I understand it's also at the Source Booksellers and, uh, and BookBeat and on Amazon. If you're around people and you're a reader, uh, which I've found out that a lot of people aren't, they say, let me know when there's an e-book. Let me know when there's yeah. an audio book. 
But uh, both those bookstores, those independent bookstores, source booksellers on Cass Avenue and right south of Wayne State and in Oak Park, uh, BookBeat, are just such incredible places. You could go, if you're a reader, you can go in anywhere blindfolded to either of them and just grab a book and you're, you're there. It's not like Barnes & Noble. Wait, is that why you haven't done, is there an e-reader for it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's Have you done an audio book? Yeah, Peter's not cutting out the lame brains. No, 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 but this is this is the amazing thing about Peter. You don't meet many people that are, and you're not anti-commerce, but that's not the number one thing. Well, I want people to read it. So, yeah, yeah no, it's an e-book. He's, it's he's available. pro-message. Uh, yeah. You were you were busy engineering. It's an ebook available on you know on Amazon. If you go to and it refers to Summer on Fire, a Detroit, Detroit novel. That novel, it, yeah. uh, available. Or you can go to peterwerby.com Peter and link to the the ebook. But did you do the audio audio audio, audio book okay. is um, uh, being done? It's being voiced by Robin Eichley, who was one of the founders of the Detroit Artist Workshop, which was do Don it? Sinclair's. You didn't uh, want to do it. You know the. I wonder if he's listening. The, the guy not. who's doing it, I'd still, no, I'd be back in, in, a, in a studio still redoing uh, parts of it. Uh, no, he's a, the producer. Robert Hanley is an incredible taskmaster. Also, um, I don't know if it's, uh, you know, I, I just don't have the, the, the longevity of my voice. I'm already starting to <clears throat> get a little bit hoarse yeah. here. And it, you know, and I think. You've got better things to do anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things you hear people speaking. I hear, I hear, you know, the rushes from it, not to be confused with uh, the limbaws of it. Yeah, yeah. right. And yeah, that, that's a grumble from the grave. In yes, that case. and uh, I uh, and I think, wait a minute, that's not the way uh, Mick in the book said that. And then I went, oh no, but that's the way Robin heard him saying it. And if yeah, if you want it done the way you thought it was done, Pete, you should have done it. But hmm. you know. And what you really meant to say was that's not the way uh, Mick in Summer on Fire said it. A Detroit novel. Detroit novel. Detroit novel, right. <laughs> Available at quality independent booksellers throughout the region. Actually, uh, while, while uh, Barnes & Nobles and some of the, the big chains struggle, uh, from what I've read, the independent booksellers are doing pretty well, yeah. actually. They, they have uh, connected with the community, and it becomes a gathering place. And it's a like pl- a book club. Yeah. I mean, it, it's someplace that's it's almost... Uh, it's almost part of your uh, of your lifestyle, as opposed to just saying, "Give me the latest James Patterson, Bill Clinton mystery." Yeah, and I'm so glad that not being president anymore has unlocked all the literary gifts that Bill Clinton had. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping inside, Me- meaning using his name for commerce. Oh, is that how, is yeah, that how that worked? Much. Oh, okay. Yeah. I got this idea. So there's this guy. He's a CEO, and there's this girl in his office who lifts up her dress. Patterson's like, I'll take it from here, Bill. He's like, we got it, big fella. (laughs) There's some corn dogs in the green room. He's like, I'll be right back. Hey, what's your secretary's name again? Yeah, no, we're not selling that kind of shit here. Well, feel free to hang out or leave if you have to leave. I got to pee. All right. Oh, also available on Amazon.com, <laughs> I think, is the Kwame Sutra, but I'm not oh, sure okay. anymore. We got to oh. figure that you out. Know, this book, that's, a, that's an incredible idea. Uh, so it would obviously have a, your book about Kwame Kilpatrick. Uh, that would, um, you would have a fictional mayor, obviously, right? Yep. Yep. It would be, uh, it would be, uh, well, I'm going to reverse the letters from the last name and the first name yeah. so people can't identify Use a C. It. So instead of being Kwame Kilpatrick, it would be... Kill me. Mommy kill Patrick. Patrick. Wait, that wouldn't work. I'll have to, I'll have to work on that. Yeah, but it, we would change it. Sure. John Sinclair, initially in the book, uh, what did I have him as? Uh, Sinclair. Sinclair. You should Sinclair. make it Patrick Kilkwami. Sinclair Johnson. Sinclair Johnson. Yeah. Okay. 
And I got a lot, you know where I got a lot of names from? Because I'm not, I don't think I'm quite as imaginative as you are. No. Uh, uh, Woodlawn Cemetery. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, which we walk in all the time. Oh, yeah. I I used to, uh, I used to keep a list of all the crazy names I would see on name tags and on like employee of the month boards when I was, you know, as a reporter going out to different places. And one of my, one of my favorite ones was there was an employee of the month at a Wendy's on the south side of Chicago named Dimple Dang. All right. And then I was, I, th- I think it was when I was in the, covering the courthouse in Macomb County, somebody told, I ran across a lawsuit involving a woman named Iwana Lopsadibble. <laughs> Iwana was the first name. Lopsadibble was the last name. And I thought, that can't be real. I wish I could think of a good well, story because I want to use these names, but there's so many amazing names out there. And they're just, they're just kind of floating around. Hey, guys, thanks so much. Peter, it's been great. Do you want this book? Do you have a copy of <laughs> you your mean own? mean Summer on Fire? Summer on Fire? Yes. No, very seriously. Do you want a copy? Is it a Detroit novel? It's a Detroit I'm novel. I'm very interested. Okay. Here, I'm yeah. going to pass it yeah. to you. Thanks, guys. Actually, I am going to make a, uh, a run upstairs and come back and get my coat after. Yeah, come, It's getting come that talk, serious. Talk to him about a, a joining the Red Shovel Network here. Thanks, Peter. Yeah. And it's great. It's great to meet you in person. You know, I was going to call your show again, but I I was kind of waiting for another thirty years, there and I go. guess Beasley. By the way, that well, you know, it's got an inscription that's crossed out on there, but uh, oh, I saw it. It says uh, you, it says you, to uh, to Fark Melhauer. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'll, I'll make sure he gets it. Right. Sure he gets it. Oh man, the geeks have inherited the earth. Did I do that? What a dork. Is- him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek or we're turning into cool guys? So I never looked forward to going to school on Monday. It didn't matter. Yeah. But I was always a wreck because Peter's show was fantastic. And, and, and I'll say it again. There's no reason that should have worked. Oh, And it's amazing. It it's amazing how many people were up at one in the morning calling Peter's show and having like serious conversations. And he really was... Yeah great about having somebody call in who would just wa- just wanted to be obnoxious and be like well hey friend you such know. a nice guy yeah. yeah and he just he just he did what you don't hear on either side of the political spectrum which is he listened to people he tried to have a conversation with them and if they were just so bent on being a pain in the balls he just went to the next call yep. you know and it was it was a great show who's your geek show. oh you uh it's school board members in McMinn County, Tennessee, who voted to remove Mouse. So we, we talked a little bit with Joe about Joe Rogan with cancel culture and censoring people and things like that. Well, these folks in McMinn County didn't exactly ban Mouse. And if you're not familiar with it, it's it's one of the the early fantastic graphic novels. It tells the story of the Holocaust through the eyes of uh the author, um, whose parents were um were caught in the Holocaust. And um Art Spiegelman is his name, uh, a, uh, I believe, a Pulitzer Prize-winning um, author. Anyway, it told the story about the Holocaust. And McMinn County, Tennessee, school board members there, it was on the eighth grade curriculum. And they said, I don't know. There was, maybe that's Boomhauer. <laughs> so anyways, forget that. Um, they said they, they objected to the rough objectionable language and sketches of naked women they deemed unsuitable for 13-year-old students. Now, given that this is a chronicle of the Holocaust, I'm assuming these 13 these naked women were not, you know, like Yeah, yeah. They they probably were naked and starving. These were not lust not in a objects. sexual context. Yes, this was to convey the absolute absolute inhumanity that people were uh subjected to. At any rate, 
The Guardian quoted one school board member as saying, I'm not denying it was horrible, brutal, and cruel, referring to the Holocaust. It shows people hanging, referring to the book. It shows them killing kids, referring to the Nazis depicted in the book. Why does the education system promote this kind of stuff? It is not wise or healthy. Well, hold on a minute. We'll talk about whether or not kids should know about inhumanity of man-to-man in the Holocaust. Another board member said, if I was trying to indoctrinate someone's kids, this is how I would do it. You put this stuff just enough on the edges so parents don't catch it, but the kids, they soak it in. I think we need to relook the entire curriculum. So what's the indoctrination? We're yeah, trying to, the to horrors of the Yeah, we're trying to say, "Hey kids, great career option, become a Nazi." Yeah. I, I don't think so. I think these guys missed the point. And I have to say, uh Holocaust kind of kind of heavy subject matter for 8th graders, but right now 8th graders on their phone can watch all the porn they want and yeah. I think 8th graders are not uh, unfamiliar with movies like Saw 2. Scream 9, all this other crap. So anyway, this effort to take this material out of the, uh, the, uh, the, the universe of things that these 8th graders in, uh, in McMinn County, Texas, failed horribly. Tennessee. Ten- te- what did I say? Texas. Texas? Okay. Oh, sorry, I'm still, I'm still thinking Boomhauer. Anyways, uh, Mouse is now at the top of many bestseller lists on Amazon. (laughs) And local people have been raising money to try and make copies of it available to people who are interested in it. In fact, it has sort of reinvigorated interest in Mouse. So good school board members of McMinn County, Tennessee, you did not suppress an important story, but you did become our Geeks of the Week. I was so tempted to ask if Jim Harbaugh deserves to be our Geek of the Week, but I think for what we're going to wait to see how that for what job plays out. Well, for, you know, leaving the university he loves so much in limbo. I mean, right before National Signing Day, and, you know, I mean, it just it seems. Oh, please. You would do the same thing. No, I wouldn't. But uh, but that's so. So really? we'll, we'll wait. Okay. We'll, 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 hold, we'll hold Mr. Uh, Harbaugh in abeyance. Listener. Lis- listener. Listener. Sorry, it's, it's, it's that. Listener whole, Lista? It's that whole Fark Melhauer thing is driving me crazy. <laughs> Listener Lisa asks, is English band Pulp in the same orbit of the music you play on the pod? I'm assuming Common People came out just after you graduated from State. Mm. I love that that song. song. So we listen and discuss. (laughs) (laughs) She came from Greece, she had the first for knowledge. Studied sculpture at St. Martin's College That's where I Got her eye She told me that the dad was loaded I said my case on my room with Coca-Cola She said fine And then in 30 seconds time She said I wanna live like common people I want to do whatever common people do want to sleep with common people I want to sleep with common people like you 
to a supermarket I don't know why but I just started somewhere So it started there I said pretend you got no money And she just laughed and said Oh you're so funny I said yeah I can't see anyone else smiling Are you sure? You wanna live like common people You wanna see whatever common people see Wanna sleep with common people You wanna sleep with common people like me But she didn't understand And she just smiled and held my hand I went to flat trip over the shop I cut your hair and get a job I smoked some facts and played some pool Pretend you never went to school
So Pulp checked some of the boxes of a new wave band. They had sort of some punk roots. They were around in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and I think they kind of lingered on a little bit more. They kind of hit their stride and common people is from the mid-90s, so it's kind of post-new wave I'll, era. I'll, I'll answer Lisa's question. That is not a new wave song by any stretch of the imagination. That is 100% Britpop. That is a prime example example of Britpop. It 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 feels like it's, it's a great song. A little outside the uh, outside the era that that we try and folks. I try and keep a very broad definition. When I when I listen to it and say, "Where's the new wave nexus?" I think it sounds a little bit like Robin Hitchcock, but not really. Do you, and, do you like do you like Britpop? That early nineties Britpop. Uh, you mean like Blur and yeah, Oasis? Oh uh, yeah, oh yeah, and I and I love uh, I, I, Happy Mondays and stuff yeah. like that. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. I love that. Even era. Lloyd Cole, I like. <laughs> I'm just not, I'm just not that big on some of the stuff you've played, but I love Britpop. So what does that say about me? Well, we we have some fans out there of shoegazing, which I never really was aware of, but apparently in that sort of the end of new wave, the beginning of Britpop, there was this shoegazing movement. So, uh, so we may play some stuff, and I think Blur fits into that. And and you know, I think we've played, I think, and I probably really stretched it quite a bit to get them on this show. But I love Kula Shaker, which would have yeah. been part of Britpop. So, so they were in there. But you know, these are just our opinions. When we need a ruling on anything important, like what's truly new wave, we have to turn to the Godfather of new wave. Not to be confused with the Modfather. That's that's Paul Weller. We talked about that last week. But the Godfather of new wave music, the man who not only defined the genre but was active in many bands that were circulating at that time, Mr. Sean Windsor. Sean is pulp. Is pulp new wave or not? I liked it. I liked it. Yeah, okay, so, so it's, it's not, not so new it's wave. Not, definitely yeah, it's, not. It's definitely not. Yeah. Okay. So okay, that's out. So all right. Well, great. Um, and that's Sean Windsor back with us. Um, he was waiting for Peter Warby to leave because he hated Peter's uh, passion for the truth and for challenging authority and and stuff like that. Sean tends to be as as I think listeners of this show know bit more of a fascist than than most people out there but we welcome him back to the show and hopefully to good health how are you feeling sean oh i'm feeling all right how are you feeling good okay so uh, we want to uh we want to thank Such Kristen, who uh has donated to the show once again uh we encourage everyone to donate mark will tell you how easy it is because it really it really is easy in fact when you find out how easy it is you'll be like elric is so lazy why isn't he asking mark to tell you us how easy yeah, exactly. it is? it's that easy it's on the website mlsoladetroit.com you know that really was easy that was so simple you should, should just do it next time probably do it myself next time um and uh if you would like to sponsor the show send us a note at mlsoladetroit at gmail.com and we will tell you how cheap it is it's embarrassingly cheap uh, but it's really, really important. We appreciate your support. Um, we have a lot of feedback that we haven't gotten to, uh, and we want to try and catch up on that. But but very briefly, Sean, um, what are you up to? Uh, just listening to this uh, this really good podcast. Okay, thanks, Sean. Like I said, we're going to be very brief with this. I have a question uh, for oh, Sean, though, real quick, because um, I'm always intrigued by what people click on on the free press and where you work, obviously. And I, you know, I know you wrote the Matthew Stafford article, um, is that getting just a ton, a ton of traffic? I would think Stafford would. Stafford! It, 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 it did okay. You know, it was, it was, it was solid. Um, I wrote four columns last week and the one that was 
the most read by far was off the Michigan, Michigan state basketball game. It was an excellent column, by the way, I just finished reading it this morning. I thought it was really good. Oh, well, I don't know if I believe that or not, but I, I do appreciate the sentiment. Um, and that surprises Mark to be honest. Wait, wait, if you don't believe me, you would appreciate sarcasm. No, well, I know. I appreciate the idea that you, you are trying to be kind. Wow. Um, I, I, I guess that's how we repay a compliment. No, I thought it was a very good column. It oh, stood out sure. from no, the, no, the no, normal just, pap. And all seriously. Yeah. Right. See, there you go. I was waiting for that. Uh, and all you were begging Mark, we, for that. I was waiting for it. Yeah. We don't know, Mark. We just don't. Yeah, it's it's it, we were surprised uh, when I say we, my the sports editor and I, Kirk Crawford, we were we were surprised because we didn't know what the basketball game. You just right, you know, you, we thought the Stafford thing might do okay, and it did. Uh, I shoot, I wrote a thing about Cade Cunningham, Cunningham last week, the Pistons rookie who's been playing really really well. And uh, I, the the day that Colin came out that night, he struggled to shoot anyway. And I started yeah. getting emails saying, you know, look at you, and then people started saying. You hate cops in America. Why are you writing what? about this? Nobody cares about the Pistons anyway. So I actually did get some emails. Like well, okay. Why well, was that connected? I don't know. I, I There's an under, uh, I don't want to dive too deeply into this. This isn't the time. But uh, sometimes with the NBA, it draws out, uh, you know, certain kind of responses. How about that? That's weird. But what, Kate? I mean, am I missing something? It's, it's, not, it's not weird at all. Actually. No, but am I missing something in particular about Cade Cunningham that I don't know? No, not at all. It's just he he's he's uh, in the NBA, right? So sometimes people use that as an excuse to to you know what Sean is about saying, larger, broader societal yeah. issues. What's that, Mike? What, what Sean is trying to say is crackers have keyboards. No, I'm not trying to say that at all. I don't. I, so, well, you, you should because it was very succinct. Yeah, well, you know, maybe that misses the point a little bit. But in any case, <laughs> uh, you want you want people to, to to go crazy about Stafford, don't you, Mark? No, no, I, I I feel like there's this bit of a narrative of people that um, really don't like him because uh, you know he's a lion, so they don't want him to win. When I most people I find like the guy so much that we want to see him succeed. No, I agree, and I and I what I enjoyed about that column and trying to figure that one out is not where you fall in that debate, but the fact that it's the debate's so important to this area. It's just we're just different, you know, a little bit as a sports town, uh, as a community. Mark, Mike would tell you that it's just sad because the Lions are just absolutely terrible. But Matthew Stafford is a really good guy. Well, I think I think the crux of this is the old. Is it? Is it uh, when you're getting dumped? No, it's not you. It's me. This yeah. is, is it you? Is it me? I mean, is Cooper Cup better than Calvin Johnson? You know, I mean, is that what we've learned from this? I mean, if, if, Matt, if Matt Stafford succeeds in L.A., it really is a repudiation of everything the Lions are and stand for. Oh, shit. There's a vice president of communications job with the Detroit Lions Foundation out there. Just screw well, maybe maybe, there's, maybe it's a thing, too, of this whole baptism, long baptism by fire by him being here. It's like, hey, you got out. You go be successful. Yeah, now. but that 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 suggests that that the fire look, is hell, and we are hell. Look, no one, no one was rooting for Endowment Sue last year. No one. It's this is unprecedented. But he never embraced the community. Exactly, because Matthew well, Stafford's a good. Yeah, player. he wasn't there twelve years. He wasn't the quarterback. There are he lots of reasons. He wasn't right? cuddly, and there may but, be some racism in there. I too. never. I didn't. I don't think it was this way with Justin Verlander. 
No, not to this degree. People were were happy, but he had, but he had know, success he, here. Verlander had a exactly, lot of and that's the that's the biggest difference. Yeah. That's and you know that's by far the biggest difference. I just think it's a good thing. It's a good thing to see. He played in two World Series with the Tigers, so that's the, that's yeah. the difference. Yep. Yeah, and anybody who remembers that game he pitched in Yankee Stadium that saved the Tigers' playoff that one time, I mean, I think, I think uh, Justin Verlander did his duty for Detroit. Uh, many times in that time uh, in particular, but yeah, I think Matt Stafford, this is really, this is really a measure of, you know, are we hopeless? And, and I think he's already proven what I've said for a long time. Well, I think uh, just, yeah, but uh, the Lions made a good pick by drafting him. Yeah. It's just, it's <laughs> also a measure of, it's a measure of what Lions. Yeah, so they're great talent evaluators. Have. I know so much people. Hey, I made that pick number one overall. Look at him. Now he's in the Super Bowl. Yeah, no, it's what it's really a measure of is is what it's like to love this team for the last, you know, your whole life and and had not have that love be returned in a certain way, right? I mean, that's what it's really about. Hey, I was as hard on him as I think a lot of people were. It's just I was not the biggest fan, and now I'm rooting for him. By the way, I was really sorry. Hopefully next week we can get to the studio, but that was a really great conversation today, and I would have had a lot to say if I'd been in the studio, so sorry about that. No, we're good with Zoom. all right well next week are you gonna be back i i I should be i I turned my camera off because it kept freezing and it was distracting and yeah no we didn't want to see it anyway yeah no we had a lot of people uh post comments on uh and said uh did ah! I need to shave? Yeah, no, <laughs> flagged flagged our. Uh, yeah, they said flagged is, your Facebook page. It's like is, is is Sean? Does he have like a chair camera? Because it looks like his ass is in my screen. I said no, that's his face. Mm, okay, well, yeah. People can be cruel. Him. They can be very cruel. We, we don't condone yeah. that. No, it's okay. I can handle it. You know. But I'm when Peter Werby calls you, you might guy. need to I'm think gonna... about making some changes. I guess. I <laughs> I've never been a particularly handsome cat. I'm not going to start now. You know, right? So I don't think that's true. You you have what you have what profile writers call uh, you're strangely handsome. An acquired taste. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you have strong features. Yeah, like like this podcast. <laughs> exactly. I, I, str- strong features. Yeah. What are you talking about? I'm I'm a sodden. I have no lines of definition anywhere in my whole being. You have a distinctive um, characteristics. Kind of uh, sack, you know, filled with uh, flour. Right. That's kind of me. You very Stay puff Marshmallow Manny. Yeah, maybe not. He was quite a big star. Big in the in the middle. But, he, um, he took New York by by storm. He did, yeah. He could. Uh, he waddled down uh, Manhattan, didn't he? I'd say strode. He strode very confidently. Yeah, and then he blew up into a million gallons <laughs> of goo. But, 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 you know, you can take these analogies too far, and, and perhaps we have. So let's you get can. back to our feedback. Um, no, regard- no, I was hoping this would. I was thinking this was great. We talked a little bit, and maybe we'd skip over the feedback now. Well, here's the feedback. Sean sucks. All right. So, I guess you. The- I don't disagree with that. We're back to you. Can't, you can't uh, you can't hurt them. You can't hurt someone that hurts themselves more. Yeah. As 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 Peter Werby was leaving, he said, "No books for Eeyore," <laughs> and he ran out the door, which is pretty good because he's all going to be he's going to be eighty two. Yeah, that sounds yeah. like him. So yeah, I don't I don't know that he would say Eeyore, but yeah. so, well, he he used a curse word, but I'm trying to clean it up. Okay. He's a professional. So uh, we uh, we have one of the most engaged and interesting and provocative audiences in all of 
this basement. And um, we, we want to catch up on some feedback we didn't get to before. Regarding our discussion last month of the, yes, because it was January, the role Kwame Kilpatrick played in Detroit's historic bankruptcy, Nick writes, pretty sure the death knell was the GOP governor and legislature allowing municipal workers to move out of the city. I think that was 1999. Look at the census between that time. It was the tipping point. Kwame was just the cherry on top. Well, in fact, while residency, the end of residency that happened under Governor Engler and uh, Mayor Archer was unable to stop it, um, we had been losing a lot of population. In fact, Detroit lost a ton of population between the 1990 and the 2000 census. I think there's a sense that there was white flight once residency was, was pulled away. But I recall in 2000 seeing census figures showing that 250,000 white people had left between 1990 and 200,000 and thinking to myself, there were 250,000 white people here in 1990? No, the exodus had begun before residency and, uh, and Kilpatrick did not drive people out of Detroit. People were leaving Detroit, white people, black people. I think the only uh, demographics that increased in population in Detroit were probably Hispanic and perhaps Asian, as in Bangladeshi and some other folks. So, uh, so no, I mean, the economy hurt us, and then corrupt leadership hurt us. But, uh, but residency sure as hell didn't help. We lost a lot of tax-paying residents, and that was, that was tough. After listening to our guest on that show, that was where we discussed Kwame Kilpatrick's return to Detroit, uh, our guest was Al Lengel, the editor and publisher of Deadline Detroit, who expressed some sympathy for Kilpatrick. Don said, I could barely keep down my lunch listening to Alan Lengel. I'm sure he is the leading candidate for the future personal spokesperson for Kwame Kilpatrick. I thought journalists are supposed to be objective. According to Lengel, Kilpatrick suffered enough because he lost his job and didn't get to raise his boys. Let's see how Kilpatrick does raising his new brood. Lengel believes Kwame had no choice but to steal because a culture of graft was how the system worked before he got into the mayor's office. I don't think that's exactly what Alan said. More so, he said Detroit's bankruptcy was not Kilpatrick's fault because the city had some structural problems that we were headed toward. I disagreed with him. We talked about that. You can check out that episode to get a little deeper into that. Uh, and then Don says something I also have to disagree with. He says, I was considering supporting Deadline Detroit because of the good work of Charlie the Duff. That will never happen now. I'd rather support Bridge. Al Lengel is another in a long line of apologists for the misdeeds of Kilpatrick. Kilpatrick is never to blame. I would urge you to support Deadline Detroit. You should also support Bridge as well. And of course the news and free press. But uh, yeah, Alan... Um, I understand Don's anger uh, towards that. Alan is very, he's a very gracious man. Certainly more forgiving than I am. I love Alan, but I would say he may be a little less familiar with Kilpatrick's deeds than uh, than uh, than some of us um more recently and nick again says maybe you can answer this on the pod who actually has access to the tip line email at local newsrooms with everyone working from home is there one remote intern filtering all those emails to the one tip account deeming what's worthy to forward on or a handful of the editors watching it too i have no idea what happens at the newspapers but i know at the tv stations at least two of them there are some reporters who live off the tip line some investigative reports like, what did somebody say? What are we going to dig in? And, and at least uh, when I left Fox 2, we had a wonderful employee who would monitor the tip line and would pass along tips and would try and help people. Sometimes she'd try and help them just by tackling their problems or she would try and connect them with a reporter. I don't know how many tips come from tip lines at newspapers. Yeah. 
Newspapers just don't push as hard as TV that we want to hear from you, that there is someone to contact. And, uh, boy, remote interns, jeez, everybody's remote now. So uh, so that's a good question. I can only speak for broadcast. Uh, Lisa asks, as for Schaefer, meaning Jim Schaefer, my former colleague and now one of the senior editors at the Detroit Free Press, is it a journalism faux pas to discuss stories that are Pulitzer Prize contenders? Like how you're not supposed to talk about a pitcher in the middle of a no-hitter? I don't know if there's a hard and fast rule about that, but I know when Jim and I first got the text messages, and of course it was Jim who got the text messages and shared them with me, when I looked at him, I turned to him and said, dude, this is big. This could be the one. He said, don't talk about it! So I know Jim Schaefer doesn't like to talk about that stuff. But Lisa's a big fan of the story that the Free Press, David Jesse, award-winning education reporter, and Anna Clark, outstanding uh, reporter for ProPublica and author of a book about the Flint water crisis, did about Baker College and how students were going to Baker College and coming out in debt and not getting the high-paying jobs that they had been uh, that they had been led to believe would be the result of their hard work. Uh, their they, follow-up story was just as interesting, in my opinion. Yeah, so Baker went after one of the professors who had spoken to the Free Press, and uh, Lisa's very concerned about that and thinks that that may inspire law enforcement to get involved. I don't know. Uh, Jim and I did a lot of great stories that she got law enforcement involved, and they just kind of pretended they didn't see them. But I will tell you this, some of them they did read, and sometimes it took years for them to get engaged and build their case. But the, the one thing I really want to talk about that Lisa touches on is Jim and I spoke with a lot of reluctant sources, a lot of people who feared retribution for speaking out and, uh, and telling the truth. And if you watch Poldark, you saw that Valentine just died because he tried to help Colonel Ned. So this does happen. What? Sorry, it's, it's a... How old is that reference? It's, it's, it aired between 2015 and 2019. Oh, okay. So it's pretty new for you. For those of you who aren't really concerned about politics in Cornwall in 1800, you probably missed it. But at any rate, <laughs> uh, Jim and I would tell folks who were selling A1 insurance, and they'd say, what's that? We'd say, if anybody screws with you for speaking the truth, we will make sure people see that on A1 of the free press. They will know that you were retaliated against. And sometimes that's cold comfort, but, uh, but I, I respect what uh, David, Jesse, and Anna Clark in the free press did and ProPublica did to let folks know that somebody who spoke out was being retaliated against because people need to know that whistleblowers are very important and perform a service that a lot of people don't have the guts to perform. So, uh, so well done, uh, free press, ProPublica, whistleblowy guy, and, uh, and that's that. Sophie suggests for next week, can you pull audio or transcript of the quote from the wire of Bernard Kilpatrick saying Wayne County was divvied up between Duggan and McNamara. And, uh, I, yeah, I'd love to know the broader context of that. I think we all agree. And if you missed that last week, Mike Bellotta, former federal prosecutor, told us that there was a wiretap that Bernard Kilpatrick was caught on where he said that he told someone who he was involved in some dirty deals with that uh, former Wayne County executive, uh, Ed McNamara, Mike Duggan, we don't know where he was working at the time, and Bernard Kilpatrick talked about this. Mike, uh, we pushed him on this, and he said there was no evidence of criminality. That was just what Bernard Kilpatrick said. Doesn't know whether it's true, doesn't know anything else about it, but boy, oh boy, wouldn't you love to hear that whole recording? You know, oh my God, it'd be fascinating. 
Pilata brought up another thing too, and I asked you about it about the big time person here that wouldn't couldn't be prosecuted. In yes, the, like, and Jim wants to know about that too. Oh, he does. Okay. Oh, go ahead. No, no, <laughs> no, no. Let's let, let's let's consolidate. No, 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 read his question. Okay. Well, let me finish up with let me finish up with Sophie because she raised some great points. As you may recall, last week I was pretty exercised about how city council was bending over backwards to excuse the criminality of one of their one of their own. Shocker. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and Sophie rightly points out, I think you omitted the fact that the newest councilwoman was mixed up with Sam Riddle in prior public corruption. Yes, Mary Waters was convicted of uh, some criminal charges after being uh, ensnared in a whole bribery prosecution. And so he says, so yeah, Spivey is gone, but they replaced him with another lowlife. Well, Mary's nice, but she says, zero sum. Duggan controls a majority of them. It's his rubber stamp for the next four years. Same old, same old. Uh, I don't want to be as cynical as Sophie sounds, but I'm having trouble arguing with her. Michelle posits, true or false? The new 13th district. Might as well. That primary could be won by anyone. And he has a name rec and Detroit and GP route. So I think what she's asking is, am I going to run for Congress in the newly formed 13 district? Uh, you know, they say never say never, but uh, I'll just say hell no. So, yeah. No. Um, Jim wants to know, and this is what, what Mark was leading towards. Can your guests think of it that meaning Mike Bellotta, the former federal prosecutor, a time when they had it on good authority, a certain public official did some crimes, but they just couldn't get either the green light from higher ups to pursue or couldn't get the goods to prove it in court. So the official skated, not asking for names, but maybe the scope of the crime and any good story attached to it. I'm assuming that happens a lot. Seems like they don't take anyone down unless they have them literally confessing on a wire. Well, so I'm not attributing this to Michael Bellotta, but I've heard that, uh, that there were many referrals for prosecution of Coleman Young to the Justice Department in Washington. And if you don't know, we've talked about it on the show before, but briefly, when there's a political prosecution or an elected or public official is involved, the local prosecutor has to get clearance from Maine Justice, which is a fancy way of saying the feds in D.C., yep. mm-hmm. to go forward. And it has been rumored in this town for many years that uh, the Coleman Young was the target of local federal prosecutors and that the prosecution was nixed by the Justice Department. And I have it on fairly good authority that this is true. But uh, but this does happen a lot where the feds have somebody in the crosshairs. We debated last week whether Gabe Leland was one of those people who got off the hook because the feds just didn't feel like they had a airtight enough case. But very often the feds know if they try and do any prosecutions involving campaign finance, that they're probably not going to win. And if they try and allege that somebody took a bribe and there's not somebody who explicitly says, I took a bribe or I paid a bribe, that they will not win a conviction. And Lonnie Bates, who was convicted of all kinds of nefarious stuff when he was on the city council, beat the rap on a bribe charge because nobody used the term explicitly bribe. So sometimes it's the feds want to make sure that they take a case they can only win. And sometimes it's they know juries are reluctant to return a guilty verdict on certain charges, even when the feds are convinced that they've got them dead nuts. So it's it's tricky. And now you fast forward and there's talk about putting a Coleman Young uh, bust in D.C. now, which... <laughs> right, to replace Lewis Cass, former governor of sure. Michigan, longtime senator, uh, frequent presidential aspirant. 
is Coleman Young and the right answer for that former statue? Slave I don't know. I don't think so. You know who I'd like to see in there? I don't think he's Yourself? in there right now. No, 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 no. Are you kidding? Uh, uh, they, 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 I, clearly, I am kidding. Oh, oh. Sean Windsor. No, 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 no. Let's let's not be ridiculous. Um, uh, Frank Murphy, uh, former mayor of Detroit, former governor of Michigan, a justice, too, former yeah. state supreme court justice, and I believe he also served in FDR's administration. But he was. But have he, you looked at his tweets? I don't know what he's tweeted. I think most of them, it's it's his, it's his telegrams that are going to bring him down. <laughs> but uh, he was uh, a really fantastic guy. But uh, you know, we'll see. So, so that's your correspondence. We appreciate. It. We'll try and keep current. Please keep your emails coming, mlsoulofdetroit at gmail dot com, or you can even call us three one three two eight eight nine zero seven zero. That's Butterfield eight nine zero seven zero. Someday, someone is going to leave us a message on that line. Sean is back. He may be back in studio next week. We hope he and a fire hose and a bar of soap come into uh, some sort of close proximity between now and then. Sean, what's coming up on the Sean and Carlos podcast? You know, just because I haven't shaven and my hair's thinning doesn't mean I don't shower. <laughs> no, on. no, I, I just meant that I, I think if somebody got you with a fire hose, it would really hurt. I was being cruel. You yeah, thought well, I was talking about your hygiene. No, no, no. It, it, it probably would hurt. That's a lot of water pressure. This is all about payback. <laughs> so literal. You know what I mean? No, I... I way, way to sell a Carlos and Sean podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we're going to have uh, the, our young, talented Pistons... B writer Mari uh, Sankofan to talk about the upcoming NBA trade deadlines and Kate Cunningham. And and then we'll probably get into Mark's favorite subject with Jim Harbaugh. Uh, I don't know if we'll get into Stafford or not. We may have to. Who knows? So, yeah, there you go. Okay. That is a not miss, can't miss it. The Carlos and Sean <laughs> podcast. Uh, every week there's a what new a episode. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. I, 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 we don't do what you do, which is record two podcasts back to back like we did today. But I do. <laughs> but I do. But we are learning from you, so maybe we'll maybe we'll try that down the road. One can only hope. Um, Sean, uh, Godspeed in your recovery, and uh, of course, you are. You know, your hygiene is above reproach. Um, I wouldn't go that far. There's probably there's probably a middle ground in there. Okay, so can we just can we settle out a court on your little stinky? Sure. All right. Well, I'm glad we resolved that. If nothing else. Um, uh, Red Shovel Network, great. We're hoping that Peter Werby joins us. I don't know if he's. It sounds like he's enjoying retirement, but if he's wandering around the neighborhood, that seems to be the only qualification it takes to get a yeah. show. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so uh, you know, Charlie Duff live broadcast on Fridays. Drew and Mike every day. And we appreciate you listening to this show. If you uh, if you if you do business with our sponsors, please let them know that you heard about them from us. Mark, it's good to be here with you, Sean. Maybe we'll have you next week. And everybody yes, else, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's ML Elric. You can watch the live broadcast and replays. Follow me on Twitter at Elric uh, on Facebook, ML Elric. And uh, thanks to everybody who supported Clark Park. It looks like we set a new fundraising record this year. Uh, my understanding is we raised more than $53,000 this year. Good job. So to everyone who opened up their hearts and their wallets, thank you so much. And we will be back next week. But for right now, we're going to ask our friend Cyrus to take us out. Can you dig that? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? <laughs> Marie.
you say that you'll always stay close to my heart. 